about dance in Edmonton. Yes, we've been doing this for almost five months now. Yes, Paul. we are, are Fonda and Paul. Um, yes. And I guess it has been almost half a year. Yes, yeah, so we're like on, we're on episode 14 of season one. Great, great. Season's almost done. Yes. Down. But after this podcast, actually, we are sort of over the March Madness hump of, Truly. of dance craziness. We yeah. had our our weekend long or our four day long stint at Expanse, which mm-hmm. was a great time in yep. the tent. And uh, yeah, and then we saw, uh, well, a whole bunch of great dance this weekend, which is just like right following Expanse. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. March was crazy and February were crazy just in terms of being the, the packed part of the dance season. Yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, well, getting right into it, I guess. It. Yeah. Um, so... Over the weekend, the Northwest Dance Project was at the Arden Theater in St. Albert, and um, Paul didn't get to see this one. I did not. But I got to see it, and I was so thankful um, that I did. This is a dance company from Portland that's been around for about 10 years, Mm -hmm. and they have a really unique way of dance creation. They're kind of... How do you mean? So they're unique in that they actually bring in choreographers to create work on their company of 10 dancers. So Sarah Slipper is the founding artistic director of the Northwest Dance Project. And she, over the last 10 years, um, has seen over 160 works created on her company. That's crazy. That is prolific and insane. I can't think of any (laughs) artistic group that has seen like 160 openings of new work in you know any sort of period of time yeah over over 10 years that's an average of 16 shows per season and i really i really even though the dance performances are maybe 15 to 20 minutes long each um that's still that to put so much emphasis on on new work and just constantly developing work for a core ensemble is sort of a, a unique uh, artistic model. Yeah, and I have to say the dancers in this ensemble, there are ten of them. They are um, a robust and and energetic company. Um, they're all really kind of eclectic and unique in their own ways. They all have different styles. It's refreshing as a contemporary company to see a lot of um, diversity and variety in like the body types and and that kind of thing. Um, but also just in the kind of character of movement that sure. each of them have and what they bring to each of these choreographies, which was so they presented um, a program of four works which was just incredibly exciting to see these same dancers doing works by very different choreographers. Um, You got to see a very big range, really, of what they're all capable of. Now, I guess uh, maybe start off with, yeah, what uh, what were some of the ones that that particularly struck you, I guess, um, off the top? So uh, the first piece that they opened with was by Wenwei Wang, who is Ooh. from Vancouver. And Wenwei has done, I think, three or four pieces now for the Northwest Dance Project. Mm-hmm. This piece was called Chi. Um, it was a 
large group piece. I think it was using nine of the ten dancers in the project. And um, it was about chi, the, the sort of essential life force and energy. Um, and so in the dance, there was um, kind of like a lot of influence of um, uh, Wang's martial arts influences, okay. a lot of roundhouse kicks, um, really, really Sweet. sweeping um, extension of the legs. Um, there was a couple of solo sequences for the male dancers that were really spectacular. I think one of Wenwei's really big, um, great strengths is choreographing for male dancers in the male psyche. Right, um, and, and he's done that quite a bit in the past and come through town with the uh, being brought in by the Brian Webb Dance Company and other, mm-hmm. and other groups as well over the last few years. Yeah, and in one of those pieces, I don't remember the name of it, but it was, mm-hmm. it was an all-male cast, um, except for one female dancer who symbolized the mother. So. Um, oh. But yes, uh, Wenwei, uh, we've seen his work in Edmonton before, and it was spectacular, and this one was um, sort of no different. I think he's sort of one of our in Canada in terms of the choreography he's one of our um, up and coming really uh, really sort of like national treasures in our sure. in our Canadian dancing I think the future of national treasure in yeah dance. yeah um the the show ended I'll I'll go back to the other pieces in sure, a second. Yeah. okay <laughs> um, but I did want to um, talk about the big big full company piece that the show ended with which was um, choreographed by Isan Rustem okay. and it was called State of Matter. State of Matter. Now this piece won the 2011 Stadler, Sadler Wells Global Dance Contest and it was presented at the Cultural Olympiad as part of the London Olympics um, and it was a really impressive piece very athletic um, and it was kind of the closest thing to like a conventional contemporary dance piece that you okay. could get. There was um, there was some very clean and bright um, almost ballet parts, mm-hmm. um, sort of really getting neoclassical ballet in those parts, which were punctuated by these really aggressive techno dark movement um, kind of phases. And um, yeah, I think one of the things that I got from watching that piece was that um, in its in all of its like international acclaim that it's gotten, I found it really. I mean, it was very accessible, sure. um, but I didn't think that it was the most interesting piece. Okay. Uh, that was in the that was in the show. Um, yeah, again, very beautiful, really really great dancing. Like the dancing was super solid in it. Um, it was uh, super like athletic and enjoyable. Um, but yeah, at the same time, just. Um, uh, in comparison, in contrast to the Daniela Gami piece, okay. um, which was called State of Matter, no, not State of Matter, which was called This Time Tomorrow. Okay. Um, that piece, uh, the Isan Rostem's piece was, it just seemed really conventional to me. Okay. Um, and so, so how was uh, the other piece different, I guess, in that sense? Okay, so... To kind of set it up, Daniela Gami is um, sort of credited with bringing a dance style called Gaga to the United States. Um, Gaga is was a dance style created um, at the Batsheva uh, Dance Company in Tel Aviv, in Israel. And not by Lady Gaga. No, not by okay. Lady Gaga. Just but, to check. But but you can sort of tell by the name that it has a little bit of sort of an absurdist, maybe silly kind of underlying trait to it okay um yeah so this piece kind of started out really interestingly um there was a there was it started out with a male dancer basically kind of like snailing himself across the floor snailing on his, himself <laughs> on his stomach okay. yeah um 
and there was some chuckle and chuckles and laughter from the audience, kind of not quite knowing how to take it because right. there was no music scoring. It is just a little just weird. Like cold open, a and dude, then like, every, everyone kind of gets their giggles out a little bit, and all of a sudden, from one of the wings of a bare stage, someone rolls a giant like orange, not a giant orange, but a, like a big navel orange, yeah. right across the cool. stage, and everyone kind of like releases, like oh, okay. Maybe this is supposed to be silly. Um, two dancers immediately after run out, they slam into each other and they can they kind of get into this little like slappy fight with each other, sure, slapping yeah. each other on the face and, um, and thighs and things like that. Um, and it's all really quick and seems just sort of uh, it seems improvised, but it's not really at all. Um, in any case, so the rest of the dance was this sort of beautiful chaos and mix of dancers jumping over each other and like half of them it would it would be interesting because most of the dancers would be like again snaking their way across the floor either on their stomach or their backs and one of the dancers is kind of doing this amazing solo in the middle of all that really interesting soundscape there was some different music by puerto merto shock lake cadmium and toy room combat the toy room combat actually did sound like toy room combat like they were like choppers and guns and sort of like distant war sounds um but overall the dance seemed to be kind of about like relationships and taking taking contact human contact for granted a little bit yeah and i just thought the there was some the playfulness and absurdity of it i mean the show ends with a whole bunch of oranges rolling across the stage in both directions and uh yeah, it was just, yeah, it was very refreshing. It had sort of a sinister feel to it, even in all of its silliness, but um, something really enjoyable. I think that this Daniela Gami is um, someone to watch. Uh, she's actually just founded her own company in the States called 8-9 Dance Company. That's A-T-E number nine. Ah, <laughs> in 7-8-9. Yeah, so, and yeah, and she's uh, she's directly from spending um, many years with the Batsheva Dance Company in Tel Aviv. So I think that it's kind of an interesting style of this, you know, contemporary dance that sort of doesn't take itself too seriously, but it still is not actually afraid to make a pretty big statement with something that's really absurd, not necessarily narrative, but yeah, just refreshing in that way. Right. I would say of the dance we've seen this year, um, humor is not often included and it sort of seems special when it is. Yeah, Um, yeah. Great, uh, and there's one more piece in that uh, in that project. Yes, there was one more piece um, choreographed by Sarah Slipper, her house. It was called Memory House. Um, it was a duet for Andrea Parson and Franco Nieto. Now, these two dancers are actually winners of the Princess Grace Award. What is that? <laughs> so the Princess Grace Foundation um, is named after Grace Kelly, um, Princess Grace, because she married the Prince of Monaco. Yes. And she was a longtime, lifelong supporter of... Um, emerging artists and so they give these very um, prestigious exclusive awards out just to a handful of people theater dance uh, visual artists every year but in any case um, this duet was just like a really stunningly beautiful sort of exploration of uh, a couple who have broken up or something has happened over their relationship and and it's about her remembering him and it was probably here we go. <laughs> okay, great. It was probably the most um, sad and um, cathartic dance piece that you've perhaps seen in in the last little while. Yeah, mm. yeah, that I've seen in many years, okay, <laughs> and wow. I'm not that old. <laughs> right, right, but 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back to it. I'm gonna try. I'll try it again in another minute or two. Sure. Great. Okay. <laughs> well, the the crux mm-hmm. of the dance is that it ends. Um, it ends with four minutes of improvisation. Essentially, the dancer Andrea Parson can choose. How to end the dance? Wow, which is like an uh, such an it seems like such a really incredible um, power to give uh, a performer in a show to to sort of pick the ending based on I guess how they feel the room, how what they feel would be the strongest choice, anything like that. Yes, and especially after they've given us like fifteen minutes of just all out romance and turmoil and and uh, yearning for each other, uh, just this beautiful beautiful um ending that i could try and describe now (laughs) but you don't have to (laughs) because you did earlier and it was hard yeah um suffice it to say that it ends on a uh, she she chose well okay um she decided to end on on the sad note of of the departure um he backs away into the dark and she's sort of left alone and just starts crying. Which is an incredibly powerful thing to watch someone do on a stage. Yeah, and then I started crying, and then everyone else in the theater started crying. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, as a dancer, her um, her actual acting ability was quite stunning. Very, very complex. That's great. Okay, wow. So Okay, sorry, Paul. No, no, you know. <laughs> we can it. cut all of that. <laughs> no, we're good. I think I think it's great. Yeah. Um so that was overall the Northwest Dance Project. Uh Sarah Slipper, um, her company from from a, somewhere yeah. in America. Oh my god, Sarah, please come back. Bring them back with more stuff because it was just yeah, it was great. Next time we're gonna make Paul cry. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not hard, everybody. <laughs> um, but uh, then we did see uh, both of us on Friday night. We went to the Alberta Ballet's presentation of Giselle. Yes. Um, the first time they have performed sort of what's one corner of the the holy trinity of classic ballet. Yes, in Alberta Ballet's um, like I think forty five years they have never actually done Giselle, um, and so this was the first time. And it was super great. Um, to see them do it, at least. Um, and it was kind of your first, uh, like, uber classical ballet. Yeah, we, the last, uh, earlier we went to uh, Sleeping Beauty, uh, which was sort of Matt X's, uh, is uh, sort of twisted uh, take on, on that, that story where, where the pinprick is a heroin needle and, and it's sort of junky-ish is sort of her descent into a, a dream world. Uh, but this was, yeah, more or less a straight ahead uh, classic ballet. It was there was mm-hmm. lush sets. There was a a lot of costuming um, that was sort of of the period in, in that world. Yeah, yeah. Giselle is one of actually like the first kind of classical ballets that got canonized. Really, mm-hmm. um, La Sophie was just the one before Giselle, and then Giselle happened. Swan Lake Sleeping Beauty didn't come for another couple decades after mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, so Giselle was one of these first ballets that really, really got solidified into dance history and um, has some pretty unique um, and interesting choreography that we don't really see anymore. There's a lot of use of adagio, which is like the super slow movement. Right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, really slow lifts legs it was um but in that way it's not not boring to see it's just actually really technically sound and 
Um, yeah. yeah, I found myself sort of focusing on, um, I guess, uh, the, that virtuosity of movement to be able to do these sort of incredible movements very slow, even sometimes uh, jumps and sort of, you know, lifts and how they would sort of come down uh, would be uh, impressive. And you would be, you know, shocked that their bodies can can take this, these sorts of landings and, and movements. Yeah. Um, well, what did you what did you think of the first half? Right. Um, OK. Okay. Um, part of, uh, I would say the, the first half um, was very pantomime -y. There was a lot of um, the narrative of, mm -hmm. of the piece was sort of made very obvious. Um, uh, there were sort of big sweeping movements where someone would gesture to another character they loved and then sort of sweep their hand away if there was, you know, trouble over there, um, which, which wasn't uh maybe uh the best for in in my mind it was sort of very the it was so obvious to the point of like just get to the dance um what paul what i know right what a thing to say for there, for me you're 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 dissing the narrative part <laughs> right and and i mean doing the the i don't get a podcast a lot of it has been about um letting go of narrative and learning to watch something for for in different ways and and so to be confronted with such a like a blunt uh obvious narrative was sort of jarring in a way just like seeing um some very abstract contemporary dance was jarring in a way when i first started to see it um but yeah so within that um within this sort of very very broad story there were these sort of pockets of of dance um segments of dance where it would be sort of like the town party and they're presenting for the guests and we would see like mm -hmm. these in pairs or, or groups sort of the dancers do these movements which was um uh you know had showed sort of uh promises of of, of great dance and great movement yeah uh, and that's kind of common to a lot of those classical ballets like even swan lake and the nutcracker they have those big party scenes where it's really just um sort of not excuses but it is the opportunity to show your best dancers do what they're best at and and they they have these incredible sequences and some of them are actually very famous um like the ones that we saw yukichi hattori do um mm, yeah. with his partner uh in that as well, the pas de deux in the first half, uh, which we saw actually on the March 14th performance, which was great. His partner for that was Luna Sasaki, and um, they were they were pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he is someone we've seen before um, um, in dance and talked about on this podcast, uh, and is uh, impressive just in not only the sort of technical level of what he's able to pull off as a dancer, but just as a performer, he does have an energy that sort of makes everyone lean in a little more. Uh, focused when he is doing big movement and, and big gesture. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because he's a very kind of non-conventional ballet type. He's, mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a little guy, and but he can leap really big. And his, his extension um, of, his, of his limbs isn't that far because he's short, but he just still is an impressive mover. Yeah, and you, just, yeah. you love him when you see him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and this is, I think, his eighth year with the, with the as part of the, the company. And I think... Um, that level of, of um, time in the company and that sort of comfort uh, with being in a major company shows. Yeah, in, yeah. And the things he's able to pull off. Yeah, and um, so getting into the second half, I mean, I think mm -hmm. I felt the same way that you did throughout right. the first half. I was so, like, when are they going to get to the dance? Right, so <laughs> to, to sum it up really quick, though, the points are like Giselle, um, two men are in love with her. Um, one of them is sort of the good one and one of them is the bad one. Uh, more or less in the structure, uh, and then um, at the end of the half, 
she goes crazy and dies. And well, because she finds out the one she's actually in love with is this prince who's betrothed to another woman, right. and uh, and he's he's basically just a dink. First off, yeah, <laughs> dick move, man. Yeah. Wherever you are, <laughs> dick move. Um, so then Giselle in the second half wakes up in the forest, um, and the forest is where the Willis are. The Willis are a group of women who have all died before their wedding, um, supposedly betrayed, mm-hmm. um, and so they haunt this forest, and they're all these like amazingly beautiful ghost-like women all dressed in white and this is kind of where you get the very classical yes Mm -hmm. the very classical dance and those sort of quintessential dance scenes that are called the white dances where it's like two dozen ballerinas all dressed in white all just like moving really ethereally and wonderfully all together right and that's something I think that does stand out about ballet in the two we've seen it's whenever this huge sort of a large group of, of dancers is doing um, coordinated movement together. It it is very um, sort of hypnotic in its own way. It's very watchable. Um, mm-hmm. It it shows the beauty of this movement, um, even when it's very slow, um, as some of these moves were, as the Willis were sort of doing these coordinated lines that were all sort of um, meshed together, and and how how uh, how the performers would yeah just uh, handle these sort of slow lifts and. And movements. Yeah, and I have to say, I mean, it's it, there. It's one thing to see a line and dancers all moving in in one line, but when mm-hmm. you know, even when those lines cross over each other, and they're all doing those um, the arabesque hops across the stage, where they have one arm and one leg out, um, and they just they just look like like beautiful fairies. <laughs> right, and and the rest of the plot as it plays out in the second half is. Um, that dude goes to visit uh, Giselle's grave in the forest um, and becomes uh, trapped by all the other ghosts who are trying to make him dance to his death. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but during the course of that, uh, as he gets increasingly weaker, uh, the spirit of Giselle, who did love him, steps in and dances some of those dances, and so he he survives. Spoiler alert. Um, but it's you yeah, know 150 he, he years old, so you missed your chance to be upset. Stupid dink survive. Yeah, right? yeah. There's some real like poor life lessons in that uh, mm. show about uh, men treating ladies. Yeah. But also um, some really gorgeous movement. Yeah, and I have to um, sort of point out that the the Giselle in, in the performance that we saw was a new principal for the Alberta Ballet, um, Akiko Ishii, and she did um, she did a great job. I even with the pantomime and stuff, I thought yeah. she she was uh, quite good and, and eloquent in her movement, if you can kind of say it in that way. Yeah, almost <laughs> economical in a way. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't like flashy for flashy's sake, but just it was very. Um, yeah, economical. Yeah. Well, I think that um, maybe that was sort of... I was trying to figure out a way to describe the kind of choreography with Giselle because I feel that... I don't feel that it's unsophisticated, mm-hmm. but I feel that it kind of came from a time where people hadn't really started pushing it yet um, in some ways. And there are... I have, there, Of course, there are some really, really incredible um, physical feats, uh, in particular when Giselle has her one sequence um, hopping on point on one foot across oh God, the entire ankles. stage. Oh, God, her ankles. It's. Um, I think it was her right ankle that we were worried about there, because it, it took pressure yeah. for a good while. Absolutely incredible feat there, but at the same time, really simple. Mm, yeah. Really, really simple, clean movement. Not a lot of complication. Not a lot of you know adding on or upping the game. Really, right? Yeah. It's just like I'm going to be on this one point 
for a while, and I'm going to yeah, hop on it, and the, you're going to watch me. <laughs> the sort of the strength of repetition in the, those sorts of movements, and just watching someone sort of endure these these feats of, of sort of bodily movement uh, was one of the things that really, I guess, stood out about the whole ballet is when it really got going. As you say, the movement wasn't all that complicated, but uh, in its simplicity and sort of the repetition of that, it mm -hmm. became impressive. Yeah, and I do also want to point out the performance of Ina Gutierrez, who played Mirtha, the Queen of the Willis. I love watching this dancer. She has just a really, she has a very dramatic flair, but she's also really grounded and earthy in her movement, and I just, she was playing Giselle on the on the following night, and I kind of really wanted to go see it just to see this changeover. Um, but yes, she's she's been, she was really fantastic and she's been a principal for the company for a couple of years now um yeah uh she did mirtha really well she was super cold and, and mean to that uh albrecht which he deserved he totally totally deserved by the by yeah okay cool yeah so that's sort of giselle in that way yeah yeah so i guess uh to sort of top off the conversation about giselle because we did talk about this a little bit mm -hmm. we've seen we, we kind of had a conversation on on our facebook page a little bit earlier there was a piece um in the atlantic about should classical ballet change kind of like classical shakespeare does it have to change do they have right. to kind of like you know does it revise have to be it set during the war yeah does it have to be set during a new war or right, something else yeah. um and we've seen you know matt's Eck do this with the classical ballets he has that version of sleeping beauty that we saw yep. he also did a version of giselle where the willis are set in a mental asylum oh no <laughs> so i don't know paul what do you think do you think classical ballet kind of needs to up its game and, well, and change like that i, I feel or? like um i guess what stood out to me um was the fact that it was very um, the the pantomime was sort of di distracting in a way, and I realized that some of the ballet audience is very young, um, and maybe it's it's very helpful in that way. But I feel like um, that was sort of not just getting to the dance and and showing the impressive feats these dancers are capable of. Uh, was the thing that stood out maybe um, in that that regard. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like maybe the dance itself has to change, or you know, some of I mean. Matt X uh, Sleeping Beauty, the choreography and the, the structure of it is 30 years old at this point. It was done in the early 80s. Um, so, I mean, what was edgy then is not really edgy now, but it seems like the the greater ballet community still holds that as like the, the weird avant-garde when really it's sort of like par for the course. It's really on the nose these days is how it feels. Like it's very... Mm -hmm. Um, obvious in those choices. If it's like gonna go dark, it's dark. And yeah, a mental asylum or a, a heroin junkie way. <laughs> um, not to say it's predictable, but um, yeah, so I guess for me, it's like how else can you frame this ballet other than like those more obvious sort of left turns? Like how else mm -hmm. can you structure or, or dress up uh, this, the story of Giselle um, and, and you know, minimize that pantomime and sort of maximize mm -hmm. the, the sort of uh, the art we're actually being shown in the dance. Yeah, yeah. How do you make it more about the dance, really? By other than you know, like changing the idea um, and the style. That's how you change the dance. Um, I guess. I mean, when we saw Sleeping Beauty, the movement was capable of being different and capable of being something beyond that super classical style because we did see some pretty weird movement in that. Yes, we did. Um, you know, they really were weird crab-like spider villain. Super into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, but so in, in that way, you know, yeah. And I think that classical ballet audiences maybe still are a little, not put, not put off, but a little surprised by it. 
even yeah. though that piece is 30 years old. Right, right, which is strange and, and yeah, definitely like um, something to think about. If, if those sort of jarring turns are what, what are sort of the norm for being, quote, like avant, like, you know, dangerous uh, ballet, like how can you how can you be less broad and still sort of find a way to push it in a new direction? Yeah, find a way to just kind of like raise the stakes a little bit. Highlight the dance mm-hmm. and, and and don't worry about having to make like yeah dress it up in such such big uh, big um, broad sort of story ways. Mm-hmm. You want it to be even more abstract, don't a- you? <laughs> apparently, yes. Apparently, we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. <laughs> what what was once you know a, a need for narrative. You know, is, is now, now is like, now melting into like let's get rid of the narrative. Let's yeah. just do some damn. Can dance. I can I have some less narr- less narrative, more dense? Good, Paul. Great, Great stuff. We're Learning. close I, to the end of the I, season, first season, and I think he's getting it. I'm starting to get it, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think that's about everything. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what's coming up, Fonda? We have a few things coming up. So, um, actually happening right this week until March 20th. Um, Toy Guns Dance Theater is um, doing a special project in an installation type house setting. It's a house that's about to be torn down so Mm. it's kind of a graffiti slash dance slash other stuff project. Um, Yeah, we'll throw the uh, listing up on our website so that you can see where it is uh, and that kind of thing or on our Facebook page I guess. Um, Then also coming up there is... um, at Catalyst, or no, it's actually not called Catalyst Theater C-103. anymore. C-103. At C-103, Punctuate Theater is presenting something called Solo Studies, Translations by Interlacement Dance. Um, and that's March 27th to 31st. And um, yes, I believe it's seven dancers from Edmonton presenting new work. Yeah, sort of younger, newer dancers on the scene getting a chance to to showcase uh, their works. Mm-hmm. And then um, coming up on April 14th, which is a Monday... There is something happening at the Science Building that on the is... University of Alberta campus. Yep, yep, just something happening. Just um, something. Something happening uh, at I think maybe about seven o'clock. Yeah. Um, maybe is, you should just show up. Maybe you should uh, look into the the Gen Mesh Dance Conspiracy on Facebook and and see what you find. See what yeah. Just see, see what, what happens. Up. Just see what happens. Again, Science Building, U of A campus, April fourteenth. Check it. Cool. Um, well, last thing, um, which is a little bit further in the future, April 18th and 19th is May Day Dance being presented by uh, Brian Webb Dance Company, which will be our next sort of like big contemporary show. Yeah, because we're sort of, we're, we're over the hump of, of the dance show, so it's getting a little quiet. We are over the hump, yeah. Um, final thanks goes out to um, all of the people who are new followers and everyone who picked us up during Expanse. Um, I had... Uh, one or two people actually come up to me at the Northwest Project and say, "Hey, you're from that podcast." What? Which was weird, nuts. Um, people and, recognize you from an audio medium. Yeah, well, because we have those silly pictures. Yes, we do. Point you. Yes. Check out do. our Facebook page so you can see them too. Um, yeah, um, and also again, thanks to Ainsley Hilliard for following us up on the question that we asked her in our last Expanse podcast about where her textual reference was from, yeah. um, and it was what from one of Aesop's fables. Now we know. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, um, thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks for coming to see Giselle and uh, listening to me crack. Yeah. Thanks, Fonda. <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for going there and uh, and enjoying dance and being affected by it. Yeah. Gotta love dance. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. The I Don't Get It podcast is recorded under a table in a blanket fort in an apartment in Edmonton, Alberta. It was recorded and edited by Andrew Paul. 
Our theme song is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more about Ghibli at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sit here thinking.